Thanks, John. My name is Johnson. I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober since December 19th, 1982. And for that, I'm awful grateful. And so are a lot of other people. I want to thank John and Chris for picking us up at the airport. It's, it's really nice to have somebody at the airport. <laughs> uh, you guys have treated us really, really extra special this weekend. It's, it's going to be a shock to my system when I go back to my home group tomorrow night and they're going to expect me to pour coffee and act like a nobody. <laughs> but that's my job on Monday night, so I'm, I'm going to suit up and show up because that's where I'm supposed to be. That's a big part of what I've learned here in Alcoholics Anonymous is to be where you said you're going to be and do exactly what you said you was going to That's different for me. I usually said, oh, yeah, I'll be there. And you'd never see me. Let's meet for lunch, John. Oh, yeah, okay, let's do that. Uh, what about tomorrow? Fine. doesn't matter. <laughs> I wasn't going to be there, but, you know. I, uh, I want to thank the committee for asking us to, to be here, Cindy and I. I appreciate being able to share this stuff together after after the wreck. <laughs> and uh, it's it's nice to be able to, to, to share our experience, strength, and hope. Uh, because uh, if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous now, and I'll guarantee you, uh, we, I would not be alive and we would not be together. And that's just all there is to that. Um, I, uh, this kind of difference, you know, Cindy started out on Friday night giving her talk and kind of kicking this party off, you know, and my job is to stop it. And, uh, <laughs> in the, that's really different for us because in the past, my job was always to start it and her job was to stop it. She was in charge of fun, you know, and, uh, well, she'd say, well, somebody's got to be in charge of fun and, and she sure hated fun. I tell you what, I, I, uh, <laughs> You know, I tried to get her to drink, and she could not do it right. She just could not do it right. She, she, I don't know if, if your Al-Anon would do this to you, but she would embarrass me so much. She'd, she'd buy those stinking purple drinks with the umbrellas in them, you know, and and then she'd get it. She'd, she'd get it. Uh, she'd get it, and she'd just, just kind of do this, you know. And, you know, and she'd talk, but she would never drink it. You know, and I'd say, drink it! <laughs> and, and, and she'd go, no, I don't, not, you know, she's, I am, I'm drinking as much as I want, you know, and I, and I, my deal was I'd go in the bar and they knew the deal, two at a time and keep them coming. You know, that's the deal. And they knew me because I was there all the time. And, and she'd get this little umbrella drink and I'd have those two and then I'd have to drink hers so it wouldn't be so embarrassing when I ordered the next drink, you know. And, uh, you know, I always thought if she could just, let her hair down a little. It's like Mike was talking about that. That <sighs> it's like I can stand anything if you give me a couple of drinks, you know. But if you don't give me a t- couple of drinks, I am a little tightly wound. And and uh, and she was worse than I was. And I knew that if she could just have a couple of drinks, life would be a lot better for her. She wouldn't be so angry and upset, cantankerous, and like so, you know. But I get ahead of myself here. I I. Uh, I, uh, you know, I played in, I worked on a ranch. I was raised as a rancher's son. I had a great family. They took care of me. They did the right thing when they're supposed to do it, paid their bills, 
uh, raised kids right, did the whole deal, and I just fell out of the tree. I mean, I've got I've got two sisters who won't even touch a drink. I got a brother who who thinks he might be an alcoholic. Well, you got to drink to get there, you know. But he might be he might be alcoholic. So he drinks one or two beers, maybe one or two times a a month, maybe. And uh, he he went to an AA meeting once. I was dumbfounded over that. I think he's just checking on me. You know, but uh, uh, my mother's never had a drink as long as, I, I don't think, I don't think I ever saw her drink. Now, my dad, every once in a while, he will get it on, but uh, uh, I don't know if he's alcoholic or not. He seems to be able to quit. Um, I wasn't interested in quitting. Um, I, uh, my job was to drink as much as I could before I fall down, you know, and, and then drink some more when I get back up. Uh, I'm I'm not interested in having a couple. I had a lot of friends that had a couple. You know, got some, got a couple over at Tim's house. I'm gonna drive by Tim's house because I don't want to have a couple. I'm gonna go over to Mary's house. She's got 40. You know, and then we're gonna go have some more after that. And a couple didn't interest me. You know, uh, uh, like Cindy was telling us that one time we went to that marriage counselor and he says, "All you gotta do is just have a couple things." I thought, "Well, I could do that." So I'd have a couple before I went to the bar, and I'd have a couple after the bar, and I'd have a couple after I left the bar, I'd have a couple when I got home. And then pretty quick I'd lose count. You know, have just get get after it. My deal was I was a runner. I would get on a drinking spree, and I'd I'd have to disappear for a while. And sometimes I I'm the kind of drunk that'll you know go go into town for bread on Thanksgiving and uh, come back a couple days before Christmas. And I can't figure out why you are ticked off at me. Just <laughs> she'd say, "Well, if you would just call every once in a while, let me know where you're at." I did that once. <laughs> I don't know why anybody put himself through that stuff twice, you know. <laughs> she wasn't concerned about where I was at. She was trying to teach me a lesson that I'd never forget. And and I I had to I had to drink to forget those things and, and uh we uh we we lived we lived in a, a pretty nice house uh thirty miles out out in the country. I, I ran a feedlot right before I quit drinking. And there was a feed salesman that came by one day. His name was Frank. Now, it was already noon, and I was already drinking pretty good. And Frank and I had had a lot of good time together. I mean, he was a drunk just like I was, and he drank just like I drank. And Frank and I would get into these legendary drinking bouts and and, and uh, have a great time for two or three days. But one, I remember one time Frank said that I was opinionated one night about 8 o'clock. And I argued with him way until the sun come up the next morning. And I, by God, I proved him wrong. I was not a pig. And, and, uh, and I was like one of the guys that we were talking to here uh, yesterday. Uh, I lost my pickup that morning, and, and somebody stole it, I'm sure. And, and, uh, and I had to find I had the tendency to lose those things. But at least I found mine. I'm not like your, your man. Yeah, there he is over there. At least I, I wasn't that bad. <laughs> If I was that bad, I'd probably had to quit a couple of days earlier. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, and, and you know, most of my life was not not terrible. I mean, I did pretty good. I, I had a, 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 I, like I said, I, I was raised on this ranch, and and I I worked there until I was about eighteen, nineteen years old, and then I decided that I might have. I, I was missing my calling out there on the ranch and the farm, and I I needed something more in life, and and. Uh, I just, you know, I was here. I am this cowboy, and within a few days, I'm a long-haired rock and roll band guy. And uh, 
And uh, I love that. Did that for about four years. And that's when I met Cindy. And at that time, I didn't drink. Of course, I was doing a little bit of drugs. Not, not, not a lot, just as much as I could every chance I got. And, <laughs> and uh, so when Cindy met me, I wasn't drinking. I just I fooled her. And, and uh, uh, did that for four years and, and just had a great time. And, you know, and I know that this is Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm not a pure alcoholic. But uh, uh, when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I was I was so proud of myself because I thought I was a pure alcoholic, you know, and and I, and I was except for that uh, feed I was taking on a constant basis to keep from passing out. I, I really liked to use that stuff because I could get so much more mileage out of my booze, you know. But there was a time about nine years before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I quit doing all the stuff that I was doing, and I just got to where I was drinking. And the reason because of that was because I moved back to the ranch. Uh, rock and roll business got to be a little tight. I mean, I was living in backseat of abandoned cars, and I was living in closets, and I was living in I was living in a twenty dollar a month apartment, and I got kicked out because I couldn't afford the damn rent. You know, well, you can't afford the rent when you're doing the things I was doing. You know, it's costing me money to stay screwed up, and and uh, I would rather stay screwed up and live in a guy's closet. So I lived in a guy guy's closet for six months, and I didn't think anything about it. It's no big deal. I mean, I'd rather live in a closet and be stoned than I would live in a mansion and be straight. <laughs> just the way I was, and, and uh, so anyway, uh, I met her, and <laughs> I'm not even gonna get. I my mind works really well. I just forget almost everything I ever hear and anybody I ever meet. So I can't even remember what I'm so, supposed to rebut from a, from a day before yesterday. But I'm sure most of it was wrong. Uh, <laughs> she. Uh, she probably knows, actually, she probably knows more about my life than I do because most of my story is hearsay anyway. I was blacked out most of the time. And I thought that was the way to drink. I, I can remember the first night I drank, I blacked out, and I thought that was just part of the deal. I never really worried about it too much. It was, sometimes it's a little freaky when you come to in the wrong place at the right time. But, you know, you, you can get over that. Just have another one, and you'll be all right. And, and uh, uh, I... Uh, I went back to work for my parents in, in this ranching business, and it was a good business. I mean, we I had bankers fly me to Chicago and uh, take care of me in Minneapolis and all kinds of... I stepped out in my... In the morning, I stepped out and stepped in my helicopter and flew to work. I mean, it was a big, huge agricultural operation. We were farming 27,000 acres of farm ground. We were running 10,000 head of mother cattle. We had the largest feedlot in the state of Montana. It was a big operation. I had 75 employees. Every one of them was a drunk like me. That's what I tried to make sure. They was all drunks. Don't want them Alanons working for you. They make you look bad, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, and life was good, you know. And uh, every once in a while, she'd just get in charge of fun again. And little by little, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what happened. I think what happened is just what happens to everybody else. Uh, Little by little, the booze took over, and, and I, I began to be everything I hated and despised in another human being. Uh, I, my word got to be where it was no good. I lied to you when the truth served me better. Uh, my uh, integrity was absolutely shot. Uh, I did. I got to where I didn't believe in things. Uh, I didn't didn't believe in my marriage. I didn't. I, I didn't love my children. I, you know, it isn't that I didn't love them because I did love them, but my actions were totally different. I mean, if you was on the outside looking. Uh, Looking in, you would say, I mean, you don't love anybody. And I, and my actions showed that. I mean, my wife, I treated her worse than I treated a dog, you know, and, and, uh, my employees, they, you know, if they wasn't drinking with me, they, I'd run them off. And, and, uh, you know, but it all felt normal. I mean, it felt normal. I, I, 
you know, it never really gave me a lot of trouble. Uh, from, from time to time, a person would come to me and say, John, you drink too much. And what they didn't understand about me drinking was that I did some of my very best thinking when I was drinking. <laughs> and I would tell my wife, she'd say, why do you do that? Well, I'm under a lot of pressure. This job I have is a tremendous job. I mean, we're talking about multi-billion dollar or million dollar office here. And, I, and, you know, there's a lot of financial pressures on me, a lot of employee pressures on me. A lot, You know, just the stress of the weather is enough to tip a guy over like me. It might rain <laughs> or it might not. That's even worse because when it rained, I could go to town, you know. And, and uh, um, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't. I didn't really feel like anything was really getting too twisted, but little by little it was getting really upside down. One day, to make a long story short, one day I wake, I woke up and Cindy hated me and I hated her. And I didn't even like her a little bit. And uh, uh, I had a lot of pain in my life one day. I mean, it just... I'm the kind of guy that my my head's out there doing things and my body's out there doing things, but I don't even know what's going on for eight or nine months. You know, you ask me how I'm doing today, and I'll have to tell you in about eight or nine months. Because I really don't know. I, I have a, like you were talking, it says in the book, a solitary self-appraisal for an alcoholic is simply insufficient. <laughs> you, know, you know why? It's because we don't know. If we knew, we wouldn't be here. You know, and and I I didn't know what was happening to me. It's like I it's like I like every alcoholic I've ever I always thought I was kind of I had the secret weapon. You know, this gray matter between my ears. It's like I have an advantage. It's this. Okay, you didn't know. It. In an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you hear it all the time. Alcoholics have that keen intellectual mind. You never hear an Al-Anon up here talking about that. You never you don't ever hear an Al-Anon talking about how smart we are. Because I don't think I've ever heard anybody tell me about how smart we are, except us, you know. And, and, but I always felt like I had that little edge, you know. And 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 it just, if I can have a few drinks, I can. That edge gets sharper, and I can do better, and I can intuitively handle situations that baffle me, you know. The, if you read the promises in the Big Book. And just put booze in front of them. All of a sudden we see that booze is doing for us what Alcoholics Anonymous can do for us. You know, you think about what it says. It says, fear of economic insecurity will leave us when we drink. Damn sure did for me. Got a check, I got money. You know, got credit, I got money. I don't care how much I owe you. I'll never pay you back. But give me the credit and I got money, you know. Fear of uh, fear of people will leave me. You know, I didn't. I, like, give me a few drinks. I wasn't afraid no more. Without those drinks, I was terrified. I walked around for years in this body, terrified to talk to anybody. I can remember giving a class talk whenever I was a senior or senior in high school, and it just was terrifying. I mean, I had to get up in front of 20 people and tell them about something that I really knew. Just couldn't, I couldn't do it. Could not, could not do it. You know, shortly after that, I learned how to drink a little bit. Get a little booze in my locker. Next time I had to do that, had a few drinks, no problem. And people would say, you need to quit doing that. Why would you quit doing something that gives you that kind of an edge, you know? Why would you do that whenever you cannot stand your wife and children anymore, and if you can get outside in that pickup and just pull that fifth out and have three or four great big swigs, and 45 seconds later, it's like you feel better. You feel better even if you just know it's in there. If you That's power. If I just know it's in the pickup, I can make it for a few more minutes. But if I don't know it, I'm going to have to get to town and get me something. 
and uh, I don't uh, I don't know how that happened. I, it seems like I'm brain dead. I mean, like the 70s just kind of didn't happen for me. It's like little spots here and there. I can remember portions of it. And uh, finally, uh, this morning that this Frank showed up that I was telling you about, uh, she has gone to town, I think. No, she used back. She, we, I would move her to town, you know. Uh, we'd have these big fights, and we had a guy that lived across the street from my mother's house that I sponsored many years later. He says, God, you kept us entertained all summer long. He says, he says, it was always a, it was always a big commotion over there anyway. It usually, uh, a lot of Cindy's folks sometimes get out in the front yard and have a fist fight just in front of it. And, and, uh, we, we get out there and we would just throw these glad bags out of this pickup onto her mom's yard and just feed off, you know. And he says, I knew that she was coming in then. And he says, but whenever you showed up with the suitcases, the Samsonites, he says, I knew she was going back, you know, and that's what we did all that summer, in and out, back and forth, you know. Oh, I just absolutely couldn't stand her. I hated her. I could not. I couldn't stand her another five seconds. And I'd get her to town and, oh, my God, I was so lonely. I can't stand to be without her, you know. I had the mind of a newcomer, you know, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, it just depends on which five seconds you hit on, you know. And, and uh, I... I had lied so much to everybody else, now I'm lying to myself. I don't even know which way's up, you know. And I, I end up uh, talking to this Frank, and he's not drinking this morning. I don't know what the heck the matter with him. He always drank with me. We had a great time. I mean, he's one of the three guys that I know of now that will even drink with me because the rest of them can't stand me when I get drunk. I'm not just drunk. And, and uh, Frank's downstairs at the bar, and, and we're we're drinking, but he won't have any because he says he's got to go to the stinking meeting in a few hours. And I <laughs> That's never slowed Frank down before, and and I kept on and I kept on it. Frank had tried. Frank said, "I gotta leave. I can't stand this anymore. I gotta get out of here." And he'd go to run up the stairs, and I'd go grab his hind leg and drag him back down. You know, sit down and listen to me. I've got I got so much trouble and worries in my life, and I and I anybody even got close to me, I always explained to them how badly she was screwing up my life and how you know I was just like a cloud hanging over my head. People try to avoid me at all costs. And, and uh, Frank, uh, Frank finally told me after I just badgered him and badgered him what he was going to do. And he was going to go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that night. He'd been going for several weeks. <laughs> Frank, what the hell's wrong with you? You drink just like I do, Frank. And he says, yeah, I know. And, and <laughs> I says, my God. Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I, I knew a lot about. I, I knew a lot about Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I never heard about it, but I somewhere along the line, I that's where they take people like me and teach them how to drink sociably. That's what that deal was, and, and I knew that deal. And so, uh, I, I, if you listen to my story, there's a lot of things I really knew. I, I believe a lie to die from it. You give me the truth, or a guy who's honest, I don't even nothing to do with him. You know, give me an honest guy. Don't want to listen to him. You know. You meet some con and a liar and a cheat. Oh yeah, we're buddies. We're buddies to the end, you know. And and uh, I love fantasy. I just love fantasy. That's why I drank and did the stuff I did, I guess. But anyway, I said, Frank, I uh, I don't know. I, you know, this deal to me is just starting to get on top of me. I can't get away from it. I've been thinking maybe maybe I ought to quit drinking. Maybe I ought to try to do something different. You know, my wife and I are just absolutely with the end. My, my family's about ready to disown me. My kids can't say the 
pukiest kids you ever ran across. Just, and, and, and I it just life is not very. Yeah, you know, I tell you what, Frank. Why don't why don't I go to a meeting with you? Oh, he says no, John. He says um, no, I'm not gonna take you to a meeting. He says Alcoholics Anonymous is for people who want to quit drinking, and you're still drinking, obviously. So he says, when you get ready to quit drinking, he says, give me a call, and I'll be glad to take you to work. I'm not gonna take you to one tonight because you're drunk out of your mind. And I can remember waking up that next morning. <laughs> My God, <laughs> this is getting really freaky. I almost went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous last night. <laughs> My God, I don't know what. I'm gonna have to really watch this stuff. It's starting to get out of control. And and uh, I uh, I tell you what, for the next six months, I just died. And and this is this is my story. There's not a lot of flash to it. There's not a lot of. Uh, I didn't go to prisons. I didn't rape no nuns or none of that kind of stuff. I I drank one day at a time, and tomorrow is just going to be a little worse than the day, and the day is a little worse than yesterday. One day at a time. Today I just lose a little more of my integrity. Today I lose a little more of my self-esteem. Today I lose a little more of me. And tomorrow I hope I can die. And I hope tomorrow I'll have the strength to pull the trigger. And I hope tomorrow I'll have the power to swerve in front of that truck. And I hope tomorrow somebody will kill me. Because I would walk into these bars and I'd pick the biggest guy there and try to whoop up on him. And they would just <laughs> get away. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I sat out in front of a bar one night and I called every stinking man, woman, and child out that walked through past the door. I didn't matter whether it's going in or coming out. Next morning, I told Cindy, I said, my God, that's a miracle. I didn't just get myself killed. And she says, the only thing that saved you is that nobody could understand a word you were saying. (laughs) (laughs) So on December 19th, 19, or on December 18th, the year, the day before I got sober, I woke up in a strange basement and I, and I, I didn't have no more money. I my I I just spent my entire check, and as far as I knew, it was my last one because my family had had enough. And I uh I had been gone a long, long time. I don't know how long. I'm not real sure even now how long. But it was long. I mean, it was two, three weeks. I think I don't know. <laughs> and uh, lost my pickup. Somebody stole my pickup again. And and um, I mean I. I I don't know what to do. I mean, I hate myself totally. I hate, I hate myself. I hate everybody around me. And, and I, uh, when I kind of get my bearings straight and we start looking for my pickup, I talk to this guy I'm with and I say, "Look, uh, I, I got to go talk to Frank. And he's the only connection I know to that A and E thing. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got to do something. I got to do something. Maybe these guys can help me." So I, I, we went over to the feed store where Frank was at. Oh, Frank was just tickled. He says, "John, oh," he says, "I'm so glad to see you." He says, uh, uh, let me go. I'll get out of here. We'll, we'll go out in the parking lot and talk for a little bit. Me and this other guy. This other guy, boy, he really wanted to quit. I mean, that was the deal. He's had to quit. Now, he was the guy. He was an old guy. He was probably, you know, 65, 60, about four years older than I am now, I suppose. And uh, he just, uh, uh, just uh, he had to quit. I didn't know if I was going to be able to do it, but he had to quit. See, I, I drank every day as much as I could. I mean, I'd buy, I'd go to town and buy a case of whiskey. I mean, I, I never had any problem with money during that period of time. Uh, I could, I could, I could always find something to drink and lots of it. And, and I live out in the country, so you'd always have to stock up a little bit. And, uh, I, we, we sitting there talking to Frank and, and we'd already drink. 
even though I was wanting to quit at eight o'clock in the morning, I'm all, I'm already drinking. And, and and so John and I asked Frank. He says, Frank, would you take us to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? Oh no, he said, no, we're taking a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. What not, Frank? I need some help here. He says, because you drink it. He says, when you quit drinking, he says, I'll take it away. And, and uh, he said, I'll tell you what you do. He says, you guys go ahead and drink all you want to today. But when you get done today, don't drink tomorrow. He says, and tomorrow night, I'll take you to a meeting about Alex Anonymous. He says, but in the meantime, they gave me 20 questions. They, they had a little pamphlet of 20 questions or something like that. And we sit there and read this. Now, I got the secret weapon. We went down to the keg bar because Frank told us to go ahead and drink as much as we could. So the keg bar at 8.30 in the morning. I mean, you know, come on, guys. Alcoholics Anonymous. Your membership is going to have to suck just over that. I mean, you know, the a, the name Alcoholics Anonymous is going to slow a lot of people way, way down. So if I was you people, how would I go about increasing membership? Well, you got to make this test that nobody can pass. And you know there's five of us in that keg bar at 8.30 in the morning, and not one of us could pass that damn test. You know, it was one of them deals like you were talking about, same kind of a deal, you know, if you, you know, I can't even remember what they were. But I know one thing, I got more than about mm, 18 of them wrong, you know, and, and, and I cheated too. And, 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 uh, it says if you get more than two or three wrong, you're in trouble, but if you get four or five, you're just, I mean, you're doomed to Alcoholics Anonymous for the rest of your life. Or you gotta do something. And, and I didn't even know about treatment. I mean, I'm, like I said, I, I had things happening to me all the time. Didn't even know what's going on until later. You know, I never heard about treatment. Why would I want to hear about treatment? I don't have a drinking problem. And, but anyway, I'm sitting there reading these 20 questions and it's obvious. Alcoholics Anonymous are going to, what they're going to do is they're going to make you pay 50 bucks a month for the rest of your life once you get in there. And here's this goofy test that nobody can pass. And, and, uh, sure enough, I mean, that's just the deal, you know, cause, uh, nothing's for free. And, and, uh, so we drank and we talked about AA all that day and, and I drank the way I usually drank. I'd get over in the corner and I'd start crying because I was so lonely and so afraid and so intimidated. And you'd come over and try to sit next to me and see what's going on and I'd want to fight you. And then you'd leave and then I'd cry again because I was lonely and afraid and intimidated. And, and that's the way, I mean, I really want to remember how good it was, you know, how really good it was that last day I drank, you know. I didn't get thrown in jail that day. I've been thrown in jail plenty of times before, but I didn't get thrown in jail that day. No, nothing special. Nothing special. And if somebody walked up and says, this is going to be the last day you ever drink, you know, <laughs> I'd probably said, well, let's hope so. But uh, I really wasn't excited about quitting drinking because, you see, when I drank, life began to be alive. And when I quit drinking, I couldn't stand myself or you either. And uh, But I didn't know what was going on with me. And the next thing you know, uh, it's morning and Frank's calling and Cindy happened to be home that time and, and uh, he uh, says, don't let him drink. And Cindy had long since got too worried about letting me drink or not drink. She didn't care whether I drank or not. She she really didn't, she didn't like me even a little bit. That that night when Frank come over to my house earlier, six months earlier, Cindy finally came home and what she would do, she always has these instruments of war, I'd call them, and we had this linoleum floor above the bar in the kitchen, and she would grab her vacuum cleaner and just run that thing over the top, and it just sounded like a freight train, just right over the top of the bar, and, and, and uh, oh, she'd come down, the steps were right next to the bar, and she'd come down, this might be sometimes two, three o'clock in the morning, she'd have the dishwashers going, and the washing machine going, and I mean, you, and you couldn't even talk over all this racket that she'd create, and she, and people would say, my God, 
she can work herself to the bone. <laughs> you know, but she'd only do that when everybody was drinking, it seemed like. And, uh, she, uh, she was crazy. I mean, she was insane crazy. She'd lay awake at night in a closet. I'd come home a little, little late. I, I might have had a few drinks with the boys, and I'd come home, and I'd go to put my, my coat up on the rack. And she'd come out of that closet with a baseball bat and beat me, beat me severely. And, and now she says it was a broom, but it looked like a bat to me. <laughs> and, uh, and then whenever, I remember one time she got, she come out of her closet and she, I think it was the first time and she was whipping up on me and, and I was so tickled. Cause I mean, she was just a little, by that time she had gone, she had gone phone crazy and she started losing weight like, I mean, she was like a scarecrow. And she come out of this closet, and she starts whooping up on me. And she's not very big. And I got tickled about it. And I got so tickled, I fell down. And that was a bad thing. I should not have fell down. <laughs> she had her cowboy boots, and she's on, and, and she stepped on me more than once. And, and uh, so I'm living, I'm living with this insane woman, and she's talking to Frank that morning, and she says, I don't care whether he drinks or not. And click, and, and, and uh, so Frank calls back and says, look, uh, uh, why don't you meet me in there an uh, hour and a half early? We'll, we'll eat at a restaurant across the street, and uh, I want to meet. I want you to meet this guy. And so I said, all right. So anyway, I, I get over there, and I am so sick and nervous. I don't know if you guys got nervous, but when I quit drinking, I just get nervous. I mean, I had these episodes where these snakes come out, and they'd get to running. They'd all go north, all at the same time. You know, and, and, and they would... Uh, Every color in the rainbow, you know, and uh, they never made me too nervous, but they, you know, sometimes you just have to lay in snakes, you know, and just, you know, and, and I, uh, I, uh, didn't get that bad that time, but I was, uh, oh, I was sick, and, and they were laughing and joking and playing, and they said, oh, let's get this steak, we got the nice little dinner steak here, you'll love this, and it'll be great, and, and you need something to eat, you know, I mean, when was the last time you eat? I have no idea, I have no, I don't eat, why would you, why would you waste a hundred dollar drunk on a two dollar meal, I mean, you know, I'm just not interested to me when I drink, so I'm sitting there, uh, just absolutely coming apart, and, and they're laughing and joking, they're eating their steaks, they eat mine too, you know, and, and uh, uh, this, uh, this, uh, Frank, has brought his sponsor, Richard, along. And Richard is a guy in a three-piece suit. He worked for General Motors for years. And just destroyed everything around him. Got into alcoholics and I Stayed sober for five years. Then went back out. Dang near died. And then he's back in the AA now for about five or six years. And he is hardcore AA because he knows what happens when you don't do this thing. And he's he is a hardcore big book thumping AA. And uh, I didn't know that. But what happened was they're sitting there talking to me, and they said, uh, Richard, uh, Frank says, this is Richard, he's my sponsor, he's done me so much good here in the last few weeks, and I just want you to meet him. And so uh, Richard says, Don, he says, do you feel like you're responsible for your own actions? <laughs> you know, what am I, you know, uh, uh. Uh, this is an elite group of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been trying to get into it for six months. I want to make sure I have the right answer because I don't know what to tell them. You know, now I kind of think, this is the way I think. Frank somehow has convinced Cindy and Cindy's talked to Frank and told him exactly what's been going on and Frank's talked to Richard and so they're really checking up on me. And, and, uh, and my mind is just like a Rolodex and finally goes, yeah, yeah, I think I'm responsible for my own actions. Frank, and Richard says, well, good, John. Now maybe you'll start acting. <laughs> yeah, there it is.
been talking to Cindy, sure enough. And and uh, <laughs> we went to that meeting that first night, and I don't remember much of it. I really don't. I, I don't remember much of it at all because uh, I remember that there's another new girl that I've never seen since. Uh, I remember that there's people laughing and joking and playing, hugging and kissing each other. I remember that. All paid counselors, by the way. Um, there's a guy named Johnny. He says, I'll be your sponsor. And I thought that would be fine. I needed a sponsor. Somebody to pay that 50 bucks a month. And, um, you know, I don't really remember a lot that happened there. I don't remember what they talked about. I don't remember a thing. The only thing I remember is there's a guy. He was uh, He was sitting off to my right. And they were saying that they, some of them guys had 15, 20, 25, 30 years without having a drink. <laughs> Lying sons, you know, they, <laughs> come, why would you even bother with that? You know, come on. But this guy sitting next to me, I asked him, how long has it been since you've had a drink? And he says, two weeks. <laughs> and, I, and I knew he'd bought the lie. But something else happened. I knew that he was telling the truth and that he had been sober for two weeks. And I thought, well, maybe if he can stay sober for two weeks, maybe maybe I can do that. So I, I remember that. I remember that there was a lot of laughing. I remember that I had just a tinge of hope. But I didn't remember that. I, I remember that in retrospect. And this guy named Johnny says, I'm going to be your sponsor. And I says, fine. He says, that means you will come home with me. And I said, okay. And he took me home. The bars closed at 2 o'clock in the morning in Billings. And at 2 o'clock, he says, it's time for you to go home now. <laughs> so I went home. In the morning, he called me up. And he says, it's time for you to come to town now. So I went to town. And there's two guys there at he was an auctioneer. He had an auction place, and there's two guys there. And he says, "You go with these guys for a while." And I went with him for a while. And pretty quick, it's noon, and they took me to a restaurant. Here's two more guys, and they told me, "You come with me for a while." So I went with him for a while. And the next thing you know, it's time for a meeting. And we went to the meeting. And after the meeting, Johnny says, "Okay, it's time for you to come home to me." So I go back to his house until two o'clock. Two o'clock comes. He says, "Go home now." And I go home now. And the next thing you know, I'm supposed to be calling him. So I call him the next morning. He says, "Come on in here." And I go in there. There's two guys pick me up and take me until noon the next morning. You know, it's just on and on and on and on. And I was really not feeling very good. I was feeling really poorly. And they said, oh, we can fix that. Don't worry about it. We'll fix you up a concoction here. A little K-roll syrup, uh, some vinegar, or some sugar, and some uh, uh, lots of orange juice. And a handful of vitamins. Now, I don't know what the vitamins were. We'd lost track of that. But anyway, what they did is they said, you drink this, it'll make you feel better. Did not make me feel better. <laughs> Didn't like it. Don't even like orange juice to this day because of that. Hadn't had nothing sweet in years. And they're making me drink this stuff. And I, oh, I feel better. I feel better. I told them I was feeling better just so I wouldn't have to drink it. And, 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 uh, and the next thing you know, uh, uh, I, for some strange miracle, I was staying sober. I wasn't drinking. And I'm the kind of guy who's putting a fifth or two away a day. I'm putting away at least two six packs of beer. My favorite drink is a beer and a shot of whiskey. That's my favorite drink. I do that all day long. And, and, uh, but I had gotten to the point where I couldn't get drunk anymore. And I, and I gotten to the point where I couldn't get sober anymore. And it's like, I was in a no man's land. And so, for some reason, I come into Alcoholics Anonymous and I believe these old fools in here. And the next thing you know, I'm not drinking anymore. 
truly amazing for me. I mean, I, I'd been trying, I had been trying to quit forever. Every morning I would wake up and say, this is it. I'm never, ever going to, I am not going to do this again. I am destroying myself, my family, my reputation, my, my, uh, mother and dad is killing them. I mean, the whole, and I'm coming to a meeting about Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm never had to have another drink since. And, uh, how does that, how does that work? That part I don't know. I don't know how that part works. But they said, what we have, is a disease called alcoholism. And it affects the body and the mind. And the minute you think you got it, your mind says, no, you don't, not really. There's a little voice in the back of my head starts saying, John, John, you need a drink. John, she's really out of line today. John, your boss don't like you anymore. You never have had any real friends. You haven't had any real fun in the last 18 years of your sobriety. You're really not put together like you think. You know, just, and if I ever pay any attention to those little poisonous darts and dwell on them, even today, I am an alcoholic. It's like the old boy says, you know, I got shot one time with a gun. He says, I've recovered from the bullet wound, but he says, I am not bulletproof. And that's what we are here. We're not bulletproof. We we still have a little thing called alcoholism. I have recovered from the seemingly, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. But I'm still alky. I'll guarantee you what. If I just get to think. An old guy named Gerald, he was a hillbilly there at a home group. He says, I'm going to tell you something, how this thing works. It's like that light up there. He says, it takes a lot of energy to make that light work. He says, off someplace there's a big old dam and there's a lot of people spend a lot of time and money and energy and effort to make that dam work. He says, there's millions of miles of wire and poles and everything. He's transformers and all kinds of stuff to make that light come on. He says, that's how Alcoholics Anonymous works. He says, you've got you to spend a little time and energy to make this thing work. But he says, it's just like that light. He says, in order to have the darkness come, all you got to do is flip the switch. That darkness comes automatic. That's all we have to do. We just flip the switch and the darkness will come automatic for us. I am. Um, Johnny got weird. Johnny was my first sponsor. He got a little weird after about 45 days. He called me up and said things like, in the closet. They're in the closet. And they're going to get out in a minute. You need to get in here and help me out. Now, I didn't know who they was, but I, I used to pack a gun around all the time because my days were getting really close. And, and you'd see them out of the corner of your eye every once in a while. And so I got to packing this gun. Don't want you to think that I was illegal or anything. I had a gun permit. And, uh, but, uh, but the thing was is that, uh, uh, Johnny was, uh, uh, he called me up a little bit later and said, you know, they're out in the car and they're going to get me. And uh, maybe you need to get in here. And so I'd call one of these other guys that Johnny was sponsoring. And he'd say, have you talked to Johnny tonight? I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little twisted in there today. And, and uh, so uh, we'd get to talk and then finally I'd hang up. And then Johnny called back and says, who was you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was talking to Ralph, and you know, well, who are you talking to Ralph about? Oh, I was just talking to Ralph about ourselves, you know, and and, uh, and then uh, after about forty-five days, Johnny disappeared. Somebody said, "Well, I think they got him," and and uh, um, uh, and they may have. I don't know. I, I've heard from Johnny since uh, he was last I heard of him. He was in a mission in California, but uh, uh, so you know, I mean, Johnny appointed himself as my sponsor here. I'm 45 days sober now. I need a new sponsor, so I walk in that meeting that night. I had my sponsor picked out. She's a little old blonde girl, and I really kind of liked her. And 
uh, I was walking across the hall, across the room there, and this guy, this guy Richard, you know, Frank's sponsor, he picked up on it, and he come walking across the room, and he says, I'll tell you what, Johnny says, your sponsor uh, is gone. And I says, yeah, I know. And he says, uh, well, I'm going to be your sponsor now. And I said, well, Richard, I, uh, you know, I appreciate that, but I don't really know if I want you to be my sponsor or not. And he says, well, he says, I didn't ask you if you wanted me to be your sponsor. He says, I'm going to be your sponsor. Says, Rich, Richard had this ability to simply know what I needed to have before I knew that I needed to have it, and he had a way to convince me that that's what I wanted to do, even though it's not what I wanted to do. And somehow I had listened to this goofball salesman, and I'd end up doing what he was asking me to do. And thank God I was sick enough to listen. If I'd have been that much weller, if I'd have been there just a little bit longer, I wouldn't have been able to hear what this guy had to say. And he started to show me. He started to show me how to live and work and operate in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. He thought that he could get to Chicago if he read that big book of Alcoholics Anonymous just right. He thought everything was in that book. He kept telling me, it's in the book, it's in the book. And, and I couldn't find it. He'd have to point it out to me. You know, what happened is he had me uh, reading in there all the time, and then he had said, his his main deal is get to meetings, get to meetings. He thought that if I could get to a meeting enough, that finally I would start cleaning out some of these cops. He'd say, bring the body until the mind follows. And I'd what the heck does that mean? You know, he said, well, obviously you ain't got much of a mind. And, and uh, uh, he just had to wait. You know, he, he was not a kind sponsor. I don't want to get you right. But I never had it, like I, t- like I said yesterday, all my sponsors I've ever had, I never had any doubt that they weren't at the utmost concern about my well-being. I knew that. I, I've always experienced that. I've never felt that any different than most people in Alcoholics Anonymous. The fact is, I have never felt, I have never been in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous where I felt somebody didn't want you to do better. Let's put it that way. And uh, he started to do some things. I mean, one of the things, one of the first things he says is, uh, how are you doing with your marriage? Well, he knows how I'm doing with my marriage. He's been talking to Frank, you know. And Frank ratted on me every chance he got, you know. And, and, <laughs> And uh, I said, well, I'm getting a divorce. He says, now, let me hear this right. You are getting a divorce or Cindy getting a divorce? And I said, I'm getting a divorce. Spent a lot of money on it, too, by so far. And he says, uh, well, you'll quit that right now. <laughs> Frank, Frank, or Richard, what are you talking about? I'll quit that right now. I mean, she's crazy. I mean, I went at her one time with a gun, and she just blew me off, you know. And, and, uh, and, uh. He says, oh yeah, she's crazy. She's gotta be crazy. Anybody living with you for 13 years has gotta be plumb out of her stinking mind. He says, but we got you two contained right now. You're both really sick. Or he says, you're the sickest people I've ever seen. He says, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We got you contained. We're gonna keep you together. Do not make any sudden decisions for at least a year. And for you, it'll probably take longer because you are sick of the, and he says, he says, so you guys stay together because as long as you're together, he says, it's the two of you. But if you get separated before no time, he says, so let's just keep it together. And, and so, uh, so, uh, you know, he, he can make me do that kind of stuff. And I said, well, Frank, I can't stand her. And he said, well, we're going to have to practice on that a little bit. Hell, she's handy. He says, I'll tell you what to do. He says, you go up to her tonight when you get home and you tell her, Cindy, I love you. This is an honesty program. He's making me lie right off the bat. And, 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 uh, I, I, I said, Frank, he said, shut up. Just shut up, stupid. Now listen to what I got to say. You tell her you love her, but you are a liar. And she knows that you're a liar. I know that you're a liar. And you, you're kind of starting to catch that you're going to have to start picking up your laundry. You're going to have to maybe pick up breakfast now and then. You have to clean up after yourself. You have to make sure that somehow you show her that you love her. And for you, you're going to have to take some kind of action. And I mean, I'm just distraught now. I mean, I don't know what to do. I can't stand this woman. And he says, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you a carrot. I'm going to give you a little gift here. You listen to me. He says, if you do this right, 
drive her crazy. <laughs> oh, well, then I'll do it. You know. <laughs> so, so, so I just, so I just ran out there. He, he said, he says, I'm going to tell you something else. He says, these poor little Alanons. Now, now, don't get me wrong. This is just what Frank said. These poor little, these poor, or Richard said, these poor little Alanons. He says, they, they are sicker than we are, or at least Cindy is sicker than you are. That's for sure. He says, uh, he says, you want to know why? I said, why? He says, it's like this. You and I were out there drinking all that time we lived in that hell. And they were stark, raving, sober. He says, at least we had a sedative. They didn't have nothing. So they gotta be way sicker than we ever dreamed of. He said, but don't you tell her. Don't you tell her that. And by this time, Richard had sold me a diesel car, and I floorboarded that all the way out to the ranch, and I got in that door, and I opened that door, and I said, Cindy, guess what? Richard said, you are sicker than me. <laughs> <laughs> But I started, to, I started to try to do this goofy stuff that he was telling me to do and tell her that I love and show her and all that stuff. And, and, and my guy, one day, it just, one day she come up to me and she said, you are a dirty rotten SOB and here's why. And she kind of had a little list, you know. And, and, and when she got all done, I said, oh, that's not all. And I started telling her some more things that Richard had told me. And she just, <laughs> she was dumbfounded. She, you know, she couldn't even stand it anymore. And, and uh, uh, I come into town one night. I, I'm I'm a farmer, and I, I I hadn't I worked on a tractor all afternoon. I was late. I couldn't change clothes. I had my old greasy hat on. I had my greasy pants on. Walked in that meeting, and Richard and I would always sit in the back. And we take, Richard's always great about telling me about everybody. He says, "Now that guy, you can stay with him. This guy, stay away from him. He's going to get drunk. That guy's going to get drunk. That guy there, you stay with him. That one there, you dang sure stay next to him." And and I didn't know how he knew that, but boy, he peg him. He peg him good. And, and I kind of felt pretty, I mean, he just kind of took me into his arm and I felt good when I was around him. And I walked in that room and he <laughs> went to sit down next to me. He said, get the hell away from me. What the hell's the matter with you? Get the hell away from me. Go sit over there someplace. He said, get away from me before somebody in this room might think I know you. You know, I'm going, oh no. <laughs> so I get to walking over there and he says, and by the way, after the meeting, you and me, that was a bad deal. You and me, I didn't, huh? <clears throat> It was always a bad deal. I, sometimes those conversations last hours, and and uh, he explained it to me in a way I could finally understand. But after that meeting, he come back and he says, "Listen, this is my church." He says, "This thing has literally saved my life." He says, "You look around you; these people here came here sick and destroyed, and they have been rebuilt because of the program of alcoholics." Don't you ever, don't you ever come here dressed like this here. Well, I have to work. <laughs> he, he says, well, that's fine, then work. I said, well, I might not be able to work and come to me. He says, no problem. He says, don't come. He says, Alcoholics Anonymous, you're going to have to get this through your head. Alcoholics Anonymous will survive just fine without you. But you will not survive with Alcoholics Anonymous. He says, you have no respect for anything. We're going to start here. You will start respecting this program, these people. And somehow he got that through my stupid head. Somehow the thing clicked. And but I wasn't quite willing just yet. You know, I don't want to rush into anything that might really help me. And uh, I told him, I said, well, 
you know, I got 30 miles to drive, and I'll, and he, and he, I'd always have these excuses, and he, he, you know, one of his answers was, well, just throw in a new pair of, you know, put in some new clothes inside your car, and that when, when you get the, you can change in the bathroom or something like that. It ain't no big deal. Every time I had an answer, he had a solution to my sick little answer, you know, and he was so good about that kind of stuff. He did a great job with me because I was so goofy, and he, he was just right on top of it, you know. He, he'd always call me the smart guy, you know, the smart guy. You know, and it was a it was a cut. I know it. And uh, I've been going to meetings for about three months, maybe four. And that glow was over, and now all of a sudden I'm starting to get a little goofy, I guess. And he told me to pray, and he told me how to pray. And and uh, I was uh, I was uh, at a meeting one night, and I was, he was asking me how it was, and, and I went through this period of time that. I was just sour. I mean, I had a stinking, rotten, newcomer attitude. I was just sour. People ask me, how are you doing? Fine. You know, uh, what kind of day you had? None of your business. Um, that kind of stuff. And, and uh, I was just having a hard time. And Richard uh, told me, he says, I'll tell you what. He says, I know what your problem is. You're not praying right. I said, what do you mean I'm not praying right? He says, well, did you get on the knees, on your knees like I asked you to? I said, no, I didn't get on my knees. Why would I want to get on my knees? He says, you've got to get on your knees for you. God don't care if you're praying on the toilet. But you, you need to be on your knees. And he says, well, an eagle like yours says, ain't going to hurt you one little bit. And he says, and, when, and by the way, when you get down there, he says, I'm even going to tell you how to pray. You go, God, please help. Thanks. Amen. He says, you think you can handle that, smart guy? And, uh, and, uh, and I'll tell you what, for a while, <laughs> for a while, it's hard to remember that, you know. I mean, in my mind, I couldn't even read when I got here. My mind is just, you know, like I said, a newcomer thought, you know, just, just, you know, it's like, they told me I was full of fear. And I'm not full of fear. I'm not full of fear. What are you talking about that I'm full of fear? They said, well, how are you doing about answering your mail? How'd they know? They must have talked to Cindy. And, and, uh, and then they said, then they said, well, what about answering your phone calls? And I didn't know that they knew that. How'd they know that? You know, and then they said, uh, I suppose that you got to sit there and when you come to your door or somebody comes to your door and knocks on your door, I bet you just open it like this. And I said, no, I, I think through the window over at the side. I don't know how they knew that I was full of fear. I was afraid that, I was afraid that she was going to leave. <laughs> Five seconds later, I'm afraid she's going to stay. You know, what if Alcoholic Anonymous doesn't work for me? What if it does? You know, that's a scary thought. What happens if A and A works for me? I'll never drink again. I'll never feel right again. I'll never feel comfortable again. I'll never have fun again. I can remember tears running down my eyes asking some new or some old guys, when am I ever going to have fun again? He says, when was the last time you had fun? <laughs> I never, never thought of it like that. <laughs> A guy named Gerald at our group, and Gerald had, had several years. I think he had about 12, 13, 14 years at the time. He's a hillbilly from down south. I'd come in there. I had this sorry, sorry attitude, and I'd sit there and I, you know, like I was saying. And Gerald said, "How you doing, John?" Fine. Fine, Gerald. He says, "Ah, that's not that. That's not that. We're not gonna do that no more." What are we going to do from now on, John? When you come to me, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to shake your hand and I'm going to say, John, how you guys, how you doing? And John, you're going to say, why, Gerald, I'm getting better in every way, every day. Thank you very much. He said, that's what you're going to tell me from now on. He says, I'm tired of this crap you've been putting up to these other people and I'm not going to put up with it. Now I want you to know, I fell into a group of vicious old timers, you know. And, uh, they, they, you know, it would have killed most of you. I mean, these, 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 
these guys weren't kind and loving. They they were kind of territorial. They thought that their group was the best group in the world, and they treated us that way. So I'm sitting there driving a used car of my sponsors in the town one day, and I'm thinking, John, I just, and there's few with Cindy just kind of nuts. I'm back, finally working with my dad again, and it's like, but life is not good. I mean, life is not good. And uh, I can remember I got in there, and I, there's another old guy. His name was uh, Nick, and Nick was an old guy, stood about that tall. And Nick, Nick could, Nick could talk to a group like this, and it didn't matter if you was ten days or twenty-five years, he could nail you. And he could know you all at the same time because he just talks subtle truths all the time. Another guy in that group named Rotten Ralph. And Rotten Ralph's favorite, Rotten Ralph was an attorney. He earned the name. And <laughs> Rotten Ralph would sit in the room and he would say his little spiel, usually attacking some new guy, usually me. And he'd say, he'd say after he get through, now he says, if I have thoroughly pissed you off, he says, let me, and he pull out a dollar, he says, let me be the one to buy you your very next drink. That was just not no way to treat a new guy. I mean, uh, and, and so this night, and, and 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 this Nick, his Nick would say, "I don't even want to learn your name until you've been here for six months." And he says, "The reason I don't want to learn your name until you've been here for six months because it's a waste of time. Because if you make it to six months, he says, maybe then I'll learn it. But hell, nobody makes it, so I don't have to worry about it. And you damn sure won't make it. You know." And I'm going. <laughs> so one night I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get this Nick. I've, I've got sober. I've been sober almost half that time, maybe almost uh, three, three and a half months. I'm thinking, I'm going to get this Nick. And I walked up to Nick. I started telling him my sad story of woe and about how bad she's been treating me and how bad life's been treating me and how bad everything is. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever done this with an old guy when you was new, but I almost got him where I thought he was about ready to buy it. He was about ready to eat out of my hand. You know what I mean? And he jumps up in the middle of that room. This is after the meeting. There must have been 15, 20 people around. And he jumps up and says, Well, you're a goddamn alcoholic. Now, what the hell are you going to do about it? And I can't tell you, I can take almost everything but public humiliation. And here all these people are looking, you know, and I'm going, Oh, jeez. And so I get up and I walk out. Well, to get out, you got to go past the refrigerator. And and uh, Nick, he's over there by the refrigerator already. And he pushes me up against the refrigerator. And he says, John, he says, You're wasting your time. He says, and you're wasting my time, and you're damn sure wasting their time. Why don't you just get the hell out of here? Why don't you just go drink? Because that's what you've been trying to do for the last three months. You've just been trying to get back out there and drink. So let, don't let us hold you up. And old Robert just right over his shoulder. Yeah, let me buy your first drink. Let me buy your first drink. You know, I got in that, I got in that diesel car my, my sponsor sold me, and I, I'm peeling gravel out in this gravel parking lot. You know, you know, I just barely move. And I can remember, I can remember just screaming at the top of my lungs and beating on that dash and I got them so, <laughs> and finally it dawned on me about halfway out there, you know, I am an alcoholic. What am I gonna do about it? I'm not gonna let those old fools run me off. There's no place else to go. <laughs> where, where can I go? You know? I asked my sponsor if I go to treatment and he says only if you want to learn how to drink again. And I, I don't know what that means, that's just what he said, you know? And, and uh, and so I didn't want to go to treatment. I can't go to church. I mean, I've already been sprinkled, dunked, baptized, ran through the chute the whole nine years. That never took. Talked in tongues. I mean, you know, uh, you know, everything. All I do is make me thirsty, you know. And so, so here, I, so here I am driving this car, this damn diesel car. I don't even like it anymore. And you know, it's like everything else. Oh, I need that. Get it. And it ain't the deal. And and uh, I'm sitting there, just, just. 
you know, finally I just kind of resigned myself to the fact that <laughs> my life is bad and it's going to get a lot worse because I'm going to be a real member of Alcoholics Anonymous for a while. I mean, it's just there's nothing left. I mean, there's nothing left. What do you do? You know, I've been trying to kill myself forever. I can't get that job done. And so, a few days later, I'm driving in, and I'm driving in in a pretty nice diesel car. And I'm driving in, and I'm thinking, God, i got to see that damn jail. Come on, I'm getting better in every way, every day, jail. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it dawned on me. I was. I am. I am. In, in little ways. Every day, I seem to be getting better. There's things that are starting to happen for me. And now for the next, you know, uh, for a few days, it was all right. And then, then Cindy started in. Uh, you know, when are you going to be a father? When are you going to take care of the children? When are you going to quit going to these AA meetings? You're spending too much time in AA. Don't you know that we deserve ours? You know, you're not showing us any more than you was before. And I'd sit there and I'd go to, I'd run into town and tell Richard about this thing. He said, all right. He said, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't put Alcoholics Anonymous first in your life and keep it there, you can't have any of the rest of it. Because little by little, it'll all get chipped away. You know that and I know that. He says, so what you do is when you get ready to leave and she starts that stuff, you hold on to her and you tell her that you love her very, very much. But if you have to pick between Alcoholics Anonymous and her, she's just going to have to go. Because you can't have her without the others. If you have her, you'll be right back where you was at, and you will be losing her just like you are. So you get to decide how you want to live the rest of your life. And that's what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a series of decisions. How do you want to live? you want to live in fear, or do you want to live in faith? you want to take the actions that you know to be true, or do you want to con yourself again and get out there to where we can drink like the rest of us? You know, and that's what I had to do day after day for the longest time. And finally, uh, it just kind of turned on me. I don't know really what happened, but it got better. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't work any steps. I didn't do much of a program, but I got better. I got to where I could see the value of going to meetings. What I found the value of meetings were is that today when I go to a meeting, tomorrow I'm going to feel just a little better. Just a little better. Today I'm going to feel a little better because I went to a meeting yesterday. Just the opposite of what was happening when I was drinking. Just the opposite. The exact opposite of and little by little, the promises come true for me, just like they did when I was drinking. Little by little, as I stay in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and start to do the things that I need to do to stay here, I find that all those promises come true for me. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but they always happen. If I work for them, well, I don't want to work for them too much. You know, I want to get sober, but I don't want to get sober, sober. I want to get, I want to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I don't want to become a fanatic. You know, you don't want to become a fanatic. You give the fanatic, you're not Alcoholics Anonymous. You might not be able to have the big important things in your life. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, so I had the first big important thing in my life come along. It was a ranch, a farm. I had a farm. I could, I had, I could see, I had this banker friend who had passed out in his lap one time when I was drinking. And this banker friend, and he now has joined Alcoholics Anonymous. And between the two of us, we come up with a scheme that I could probably buy this farm. Great idea. God's will, you know. <laughs> and, you know, God answers prayer in three ways. Well, yes, no, and if you insist. <laughs> well, I insisted. And so God says, okay, have some fun. So I bought it nine months later. I'm broke. Broke. Not a little broke, but broke. And, uh, you know, I owe $3 million with no visible means of support. That's broke. And uh, I'm going, uh, 
uh, I'm going for the next four or three and a half years. I'm fighting this bankruptcy. I didn't, I didn't go into bankruptcy, but I was right there at the door forever. Now, when you're running a farm like I'm running a farm and you're on the verge of bankruptcy, I'm sorry, Alcoholics Anonymous, but I don't have no time for you. Sorry. And, and, uh, I want you to know my relationship with my wife did not improve. It got worse. My relationship with my business people did not improve. It got worse. And my own, my own self did not improve. It got worse. This happened in about three and a half years. My sponsor, Richard, had left at two years because he had had a small fight with his wife about four years earlier. And being a good alcoholic, he was teaching her a lesson. That's why he was in Montana and she was in California. And he got to listen to some of the things he'd been telling me and decided to use some of it. So he went back to California and made up with her. So my sponsor now lives in California. Well, now, when you're two years sober and your sponsor's gone to California, you can use the group. And surely it's somebody sick enough in that group to tell me that I can buy this ranch uh, and, and live happily ever after. And, you know, this guy had three three days, but what the heck. <clears throat> and and uh, I ended up uh, I ended up in this fight, this bankruptcy fight for a long time. And, and uh, uh, after after about a year or so with uh, out of sponsors, finally, I mean, I got to where I'm walking out of this bank and I'm worth more dead than I am alive. And I'm thinking, well, I just, you know, I need to kill myself because I, I've tried Alcoholics Anonymous and it doesn't work. And and I've tried to be good and it doesn't work. And and, and I I'm a I'm a failure. I am absolutely a zero. I'm a loser. I'm not even good and I'm not even good at being an alcoholic. <laughs> I, I might as well blow my stinking head off. And and uh, this is what usually happens to me. Whenever I get to the point of desperation, I will usually do something. And so I ended up getting a guy named Jim Shaw to be my sponsor. And, uh, that life changed. Life changed. I mean, you know Jim. And, uh, he, uh, he took me through the book. We worked the steps. Uh, I, I had done a fifth step once before with Richard. He said that you can do it with me or you can do it with somebody else. Well, I ain't got to do it with my sponsor. Why would you do it with your sponsor? I don't want to tell anybody who's trying to help me on a daily basis about me. I know you're supposed to be like my psychiatrist. I'm going to pay you this money, and you figure out what's wrong with me, okay? And if you can't do it, that's your tough luck. But you know, I'm the one's paying the money for the help that I'm not going to get. And somehow I think it's that's a good deal. <laughs> you know, so there's a few others, I'm sure, in here. Um, so anyway, you know, I, I finally asked this Jim to be my sponsor, and and uh, boy, he was. A, I thought Richard was a hardcore. This guy's nuts, and he would just insist on doing things, not doing things, and. and uh, uh, we went through the book, and, and uh, I, uh, I worked the steps with him. I did the inventory with him. I did the fifth step with him. And, you know, I felt better about myself. I was still fighting this bankruptcy, but it was changing. Uh, about four years of sobriety, Cindy and I finally made up. It only took me four years in Alcoholics Anonymous uh, because I was right. Rather be right than happy any day of the week. You know, right's best. Don't want to be happy. Four years I made her life miserable in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I come to you and tell you how good things are. Right? Right? Don't want to do nothing about it. Nope. Nope. She's going to have to do it. So fault. You know. How do you how, how do you eliminate all your responsibilities? It's her fault. That's how you do that. Easy. I don't have to do nothing. It's her fault. When she gets ready to straighten out her life, my life will be better. Because it's her fault. And uh, Kind of put a slow down to that deal. They they start pointing it out in the book that if there's anything going on in my life, I'm the one that's going. See, the thing about alcoholics and that really works for me is they clearly tell you where the problem lies. 
<laughs> so basically, we think our problems are of our own making. They arise out of self, it says. And, it says an ex- and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self will we're in, right? But I usually don't think so. <laughs> in other words, I hardly ever think that at all. You know, it's always somebody else. And what I get to learn by working the steps is that it is my fault. And if it, and if it is my fault, then then that's a great answer for me because I am the only thing that I can change. I cannot change anything outside of me. That's what the serenity prayer is about. Get my head to the point where I know what I can and what I can't change. And all my life I spent trying to change things that I can't change. And now all of a sudden I got a used car salesman and a plumber showing me how to change things that are vital to my existence. And not only that, but gives me a lot beyond my wildest dreams. And I and I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Heck, if I knew, if you knew how to do that, you wouldn't be sitting in this room today. You know, I have to learn that I don't know. And something happens to us when we learn that we don't know. We begin to know. We begin to understand these things. And what happens is I begin to know. I begin to see the part, my fault, in this relationship that I got with my wife. And after four years and about three weeks, it changed. And it changed on the dime. And it changed the minute I got this out of the way. The minute I took this secret weapon of mine and fired it. You know, I just fired it. For some reason, I didn't want to believe the lie anymore. And the lie was, I was wondering when she was crap. You know, and it's a lie. Because today, she's absolutely the best partner I have. Today, we have a great time day after day after day after day after day after day after day. One day at a time. And uh, I would have fired the wrong woman. I would, I would have killed the wrong guy. Left up to my own devices. I am so thankful for people in the, in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous who understands the nature of the disease and who are more concerned about my well-being than my feelings. You know, that's important. That, that's an act of love. For somebody to come to me and say, John, this might hurt your feelings, but this is where we're at. Or, quit it. <laughs> you know, I just can't take it, you know, but somehow when they get it through my head that it's to my benefit to stop it, all of a sudden I can live a little different. And I can start enjoying life a little better. And don't think for one second that I'm wonderful and I'm well. There's some days that you can come over to our house. And you would swear that Cindy and I, either one, has ever been to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous or al ever. You know? But for the most part, it's pretty good. And, uh, and, uh, and don't think I'm well. Because when I was about 11 years sober, uh, I was punching this guy, rich guy. Like, I like this guy. How you get my attention? You just, you just tap my pocketbook. You don't even have to touch it, just tap it. You know? And this guy had a lot of money. He was, he'd go down to Central America for winter. And, uh, I like this guy. He'd been sober for about 10 years and went out drinking for about 5 years and now he's back in the program. And he asked me to sponsor him and I said, I sure would. And I sponsored him for about 45 seconds. I think it was about 2 weeks, 3 weeks. And uh, he called me up one day and he fired me. And he he, he was a heck of a salesman. I mean, he really was. And he fired me and he began to give me the reasons why he fired me. And man, he was making sense. He was good. I mean, he was really good. I'm only 11 years sober, but this guy was brand new, and he was really telling me about how he didn't have to do this, and I got to say, yeah. <laughs> I got to say, yeah, you, you, you're making pretty good points, you know, and the next thing you know, he hangs up. And uh, at, during this period of time, my, my sister had this story, and, and it was it was going like this whenever she gave it to me, or the family gave it to me to run, and then it went straight like that. 
and uh, it went broke in about a year, and he was already headed that way when when I got in the middle of it. But um, my sister was really depressed. She's the one that owned the store. She was absolutely just thoroughly depressed, and she hadn't laughed. She hadn't been out hardly at all. She hadn't enjoyed herself for, for, I mean, for a long time. I mean, it's been months, and she was clinically depressed. And she, so I called her up after this guy, and I said, "Listen, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Why don't I come by and take you out for lunch today? Just to see if I can cheer you up a little bit." She said, "All right." So anyway, I, I kept thinking about what this guy was talking about. You know about how we were overcorrecting and we were doing too much and four meetings a week was way too much and reading out of that book and step studies and all the kind of stuff that we do on an ongoing basis and going to conferences and the things that you need to do to stay in the middle. And uh, I was thinking about it. This guy's making, making some good. I mean, I really, come on. Now, I didn't really drink that bad to begin with. And then Cindy, you know, Cindy and I was having those troubles, but the truth of the matter is is that we're more mature now and we can probably handle that stuff, you know. And uh, uh, my mind was just kind of playing with this idea. I was just going along with this little poison dart for a while, and the next thing you know, I went and picked up my sister. And I told her, I said, Maggie, you know what? I, I don't think those last years. I mean, I, yeah, I drank a little bit that last summer, but those last, you know, I, I didn't drink that much. Do you think? It, really? I mean, did you? Because she hadn't been around me that much when I was drinking. And she started laughing. I mean, she didn't kind of laugh. She just started laughing. She got down. She got she got to where she's just beating the dash, and I mean she was falling over. She get me to a filling station right now. So we went to a gas station, you know, and I stopped. And she ran in the bathroom, and she's just screaming, just laughing. And I said, "Why?" And and she comes back. I said, "Why in the hell is so stinking funny?" And she says, "My God, you are sick, aren't you?" And I, I, I said, "Now wait a minute. What are you talking about?" She says, "You don't remember, do you?" And I said, "Remember what?" She says, "John, don't you remember?" The last four years you drank, you never drew a sober breath. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember the family time after time after time trying to get you to do something? Don't you remember that if you hadn't quit drinking within hours, you was going to go to some psych ward? Don't you remember that stuff? And you sit back and you tell me that you wasn't that bad. You are the sickest puppy I have ever seen. And I oh, well, okay. I guess, I guess I'll go to a meeting tonight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's after 11 years of A&A. That's after 11 years of giving my experience, strength, and hope every chance I get to whoever will listen. That's after 11 years of sponsoring, you know, close to 15, 20, 25 guys. That's 11 years of going to the average of four meetings a week. That's 11 years after being convinced over and over and over and over again that this secret weapon is out to kill me, that my problem is centered in my mind. That's how powerful we that's the fight that we fight. That's the struggle that we have. We got to get it through our thick heads and of ourselves and by ourselves we will simply self-destruct. I will. <laughs> you know, I'm like a fighter. I'm like a fighter going to a fight. The only difference between me and a prize fighter is I have no idea in the world. I have no idea in the world when the prize fight's gonna be. It may be tonight. It might be when I step on that plane and go home. It may be four years from now. It may be 14 years from now. But that fight is coming. It will happen for every single one of us. It's going to. And if it hasn't already, it will. It will. And if it has already, it will again. And that's all we got to do is just leave some new guy. <laughs> or a family member. Or it doesn't matter who. They don't know. They don't die for us when we die. We die for us when we die. They don't feel pain when we feel pain. We feel pain when we feel pain. 
And they'll walk away and say, well, I don't know what happened to him. He's leaving again. I don't know what the heck happened. Well, what happened is they listened to you. You know, so if, uh, you know, if you're feeling very well here, just remember, um, you think you got this thing, you don't. But on the other hand, if you don't think you got this thing and you're new and you're struggling, you're probably as close as you'll ever be. Because it's an amazing deal. That, you know, the minute I kind of give up on having it my way, it, it starts to wash over me and I get everything that I ever dreamed of. I get everything I ever dreamed of. My life is good. I've got a little daughter down there and her young husband sitting right there. Good feet. You know, what a gift. I got a, I got a couple of goofy boys at home and they're just gifts. We have more fun and play. Of course, when they're together, they tear up the house, but we still have a blast. I sponsor a bunch of guys that I just love. I got a good business today. The bankruptcy is long behind. Life is good. Life is good. And I had a bad motorcycle wreck about uh, two years ago and <laughs> working cattle and the dumbest thing ever happened. I just flipped over and I can remember going over and thinking, oh, this is great. <laughs> and, uh, it was a, it was a stupid deal and it just almost killed me. I mean, I, I hemorrhaged real bad and ever since then, I've, uh, I've been getting checked up every, Every six months, a little checkup. There's something wrong with me all the time. There's something goofy in there. So I'm running in there. And uh, uh, in January, I went in there to, to get checked up again on it, and uh, they found cancer. And uh, well, 60 days ago, I had an operation, and, and uh, we, we think we got it all. And uh, uh, this is what happened to me. I'm a guy whose family is ready to disorder who can't stand his wife, hates him, can't stand his kids, hasn't got a friend in the world, hates himself, and hates God. A few days ago, it's just a few days ago, 18 years, but it's just a few days ago. And today, all these things change. In my life. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a little, little piece here and a little piece there. And today I woke up, and I'll tell you what, having cancer will make you wake up. And I found out that I have a pretty good connection with the old boy upstairs. I wasn't afraid of dying. Talk. And that's why, you know, using this good head, that's why the doctor says, you bring your wife. And, and so my wife went in there with me, and the doctor says, You've got cancer and you're going to die. And uh, went home and talked to Cindy about it. She says, no, no, he didn't say nothing like that. <laughs> and I was glad I took her. <laughs> by the way, I'm not. And, and uh, 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 you know, because I, I hear things that, you, you know, we, you know what I'm talking about. You hear things that you're not supposed to hear. Some, you know, I've never, like I told Cindy one time, she said that. She says, I've never thought like that a day in my life, you know. Uh, I just, uh I, I just can't get over how things have changed. You know, I've got cards and letters and people all over this country, all over this country. And I got people sending me their prayers from all over this country. My mom and dad come up from Texas and they took care of me. They took care of me for 30 days. My wife works at, worked at H&R Block and, and <laughs> during February it's just a little bit tight around H&R Block. And, and uh, my wife was there when I woke up and she was crying. And uh, Becky called me on a real regular basis and talked to him. And I mean, uh, my sponsor called me every single day, every single day for a long time. And uh, 
those little alley nanny nuns that she sponsored, they brought me food like I thought out of a starving chipmunk, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and those guys that I sponsored, they, they carded me around and brought me meat when I couldn't go. Now, you can call that anything you want. I hate this. I hate people who cry behind for him. <laughs> I got a guy I sponsored. He just shed tears and never missed a beat. But not me. I just choke up. You can call it anything you want. But I'm going to call it something. I'm going to call it the power of the program of alcoholics. No. Without this, none of that that I just described would have happened. None of it. Because of myself and by myself, I simply self-destruct because I know that. I am so fortunate to be surrounded by people who don't buy don't buy the lie. And I'm so fortunate to be surrounded by people who are more concerned about my well-being than me and my ego. So, uh, hope you come to Billings and see us one of these days. A home group, a recovery group. It's a, it's about every night of the week. And, uh, if you're there on Monday night, that should be pouring coffee for you. And, uh, our phone number is in the phone book. If you're coming by, come say hi. Thank you a bunch, man.